Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are very glad that you are here. We are in our series, How Does the Bible Work? And this is part five. And the conversation is called Jesus. Enjoy. Um, Something we do every week at New Abbey is we have conversations with one another because we believe uh, that who God is and who we are as human beings doesn't just come from one person up front. Uh, I'm so grateful to be a pastor of this community. I'm grateful for what God has entrusted me with. But the thing that I realize what God has entrusted me with is not that I can collect more power, that I get to tell you more things, but it's the reality to empower everyone in our community to share your narratives and to share your voice. Um, And so maybe it's not normally your shtick to want to get into these groups, uh, but what I would hope for is that you do get into a Zoom group, that you get the opportunity to hear from other people uh, in our community. If you're that extrovert, I know you probably got something to say. If you're that introvert, uh, maybe just the opportunity to listen is great, and maybe something will come up within you and you will want to share something. So wherever you're at today, I hope so. We got an incredibly broad question for you. Answer however you would like, simply this. Why Jesus? Uh, You're gonna click on the Zoom link or you're gonna click with the connect with us button to get into those groups. Enjoy. Welcome back from your Zoom groups. Uh, We are continuing a conversation in how does the Bible work? And part five of this is Jesus. And for me, uh, something that's been so valuable for me in the entire life of New Abbey is that so much of why our community was started is that I had so many friends uh, when I was working at a, at a previous church. It's a church where thousands of people showed up every Sunday and everything was, was good about the church and it's a really healthy place. But most of the people that I knew could care less about church anymore. And really they were in a space of, what does that mean about God? Or what does that mean about faith? Or what does that mean about my relationship to Jesus? Or what do I believe about the Bible? And the more of what I realized is that we were not creating spaces for people to honestly doubt or to question, or we weren't really creating spaces for the world to evolve in their humanity and still hold Jesus. What it felt like is that we had to fit Jesus into a very particular fishbowl. And if Jesus didn't fit within that, then you didn't get Jesus. And there was certain voices that told you this is what it looked like. And part of that is that we weren't learning to trust our own internal experiences. And as I went in this process and began this community, what I saw in New Abbey is, it's that people still wanted to connect with God. People still wanted to connect with Jesus. They just didn't want that version of Jesus anymore. And for me, that's good. We can still take all of the things that we care about, this God who loves and reconciles and repairs and pursues and liberates and frees and cares about systemic issues, who honors the LGBTQ community, who gives women a voice, who repairs white fragility, the God who does all of these things. And we don't have to live with the God who's sending people to hell and is small-minded and feels very similar to certain presidential leaders that will not be named. And so we always want to create a space where we can reclaim who Jesus is and we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That we can take the things that are important to us and leave behind the things that don't need to evolve with us because we want to evolve and create a bigger story of who God is in this world. And so at this point in my life, what I've realized year after year after year, and it's really with the help of seeing people's lives in our own community is I've doubled down on Jesus. I have people who ask me all of the time of, 
I mean, do you really believe in this stuff anymore? What do you believe about the Bible? And for me, it's not what do I believe, it's today, maybe more than ever, I still experience Jesus. I experience that I need a God who is bigger than me, beyond me. I love science. I love looking at pictures of the Hubble telescope, that there's hundreds of billions of galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars and hundreds of billions of planets. I don't even know how to put my mind around that. And I also need a God who's personal, that I can touch and taste and smell and experience and hold on to. And that's all that Jesus is for me. And in the early church, the church would talk about Jesus as the way. Jesus wasn't a concept or a set of beliefs that you hold on to or that you raise your hand to or that just happens in a moment. All those are, those are powerful experiences that we should hold on to and not just throw them out. But more importantly, Jesus was a way of being. And so the earliest church didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of this way, followers of this path followers of this journey. There was this realization that this thing is a process. This process is imperfect, but that's what makes it so interesting. And so today, if we're going to talk about Jesus as a way of life and not just as a concept, then we need to talk about some things. So we're going to talk about the way. And if we can understand a little bit better the way, then we can talk about good Jewish girls and boys, my friends. And if we can understand some good Jewish girl and boy thinking, then we got to review some things from where we've been in the Bible. And after we review those things, then we can talk in a deeper way that the God that we've been given is not a concept that we need to hold on to. Rather, that God and Jesus is inviting us to follow me, to follow God uh, on this path, on this way. And if we can follow well, then we can ask really practical questions of how do we show up in our own lives? And if we can show up well, then we can talk about the things that matter most to us, our relationships, reality, what's actually required of us. And then maybe one of the most powerful things I think that human beings have to offer our capacity for resiliency. And man, am I getting evangelical on that. I got four R's. Woo! Pastor's gonna preach, let's do this thing. Even in the mission statement of New Abbey, it's this, a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. I never forget though where we start with, that we're starting as a Jesus community. I believe that Jesus as the incarnate one shows us the best possible way to live as human beings. That what Jesus was not offering us was a magical trick in which all of our problems go away and in which we get to heaven one day. Again, that is a concept that was brought in about 200 years ago in a lot of American thinking. And that American theology, as Americans became more powerful in the world, which stemmed from white Protestant thinking, which was really colonial thinking from some of the most powerful people that the world has ever seen, is that the more powerful people people got, the bigger the concept that God became. But when we're in places of vulnerability, that when we're in places of surrender, that when we're in places of brokenness, a concept of God does not work for us. That what we long for, again, is a way of Jesus that not only holds us and meets us in our places of surrender, but also shows us a path for actually how we live as human beings. And so we want to think about some of those things as we get into this today. So follow along with me in Matthew chapter 7. 
Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is a fool, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Everything that Jesus is teaching here comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is the first gospel that we have in the four gospels chronologically. It might not be the first written, that was probably Mark, but there's a reason that Matthew is the first gospel that we step into. Part of the reason for that is that the Gospel of Matthew is the most Jewish of all of the other gospels. And since Jesus was a good Jew, it needed to be most Jewish. Since all of the earliest followers of this way were Jewish, it also needed to be Jewish as people deconstructed certain aspects of their religion or their faith or their life and their humanity and reconstructed it into a way of being and life that would make sense for them. That the gospel of Matthew is the gospel that is most oriented in this idea of change. That for most of us, change, not for most of us, for all of us, change is the only certainty. Change is the constant that is always taking place in our universe, which is challenging. Because for many of us, when we think about God, the notions of God that we've been given is that God is immovable, unchanging. Nothing happens, it's concrete. And I've said in here many times, the idea of perfection is not a Jewish idea. It is not an idea that Jesus ever utilizes. The idea of perfection is a Greek idea that was later introduced into Christianity, but is not at the Jewish heart of where the Hebrew scriptures came from or even how Jesus would have thought about the world. Now you may say to me, well, Corey, doesn't even Jesus say, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Yes, Jesus does say that. And that word perfect there is actually a word for telos. That Greek word is an idea of movement and change and evolution and going towards something. It is not an idea of being concrete. And Jesus says those words, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, right after saying, if you love your enemy, that's how you're moving towards where God is moving, God's heart, the change, the telos, the ending, the journey of who God is on. The idea is this, that's who God is. God is always moving us, changing us, evolving us towards that type of telos one in which the reconciliation of the universe even allows us to love those who've most hurt us. Now that's fascinating. And so a Jewish understanding of the scriptures is really important. And why I say that a lot is that most of us do not think with a Jewish perspective. Most of us think with a very Western perspective and a Western perspective is often rooted in black and white thinking. A Western perspective is often rooted in finding correct answers. A Jewish perspective is rooted in Eastern thinking where questions are more prevalent. And it is in the question asking 
and in the processing is that in which we grow. And so that's why Matthew is this gospel that's rooted in change. And that when we're changing, we don't actually need better answers. It's in the process of change that we're learning to ask better questions. Let me say that again. In changing, we don't need better answers. In the process of change, we actually need to ask better questions. And that's what we want to do at New Abbey. We constantly want to be a community that asks better questions about who God is and about who we are as human beings. That for the rabbis, for the Jewish world of thinking, there was this saying that if there's two rabbis, there's at least three opinions, which means there's always more questions to be asked about this life that we're living. That when we start to formulate only answers, we limit the mystery and the wonder and the awe and the capacity of who we are as human beings. And it's in the limitations of those answers where sometimes you may in fact find an answer that works for you, but what becomes problematic is that you force that answer upon everybody else. Instead of realizing my questions help me to evolve to this place and I will evolve out of this place and other people are asking their own questions that help them evolve in their own humanity. And we are not gracious in this. And we need to be more gracious in this. We can talk about conservatives all of the time because the shadow side of conservatives is that conservatives live in fear. The shadow side of progressives is that progressives live in anger. And so we live in a culture where most of us are progressives in a community like New Abbey, and we live in anger, and we celebrate how woke we become, and we are so incredibly judgmental about how unwoke Aunt Judy is at the Thanksgiving table. Some guilty laughter here. And so we need to be in this process where we trust how everyone is moving in this process of change. And the Gospel of Matthew invites us into that. And it matters that it's Jewish because it's just saying this, we all have a starting point. And for the earliest followers and disciples of Jesus, their starting point was Judaism. Your starting point was your family of origin and your particular race and your particular religion and your particular sexuality and your particular gender. And that might not be where you go, but you did start somewhere. And as you grow as a human being, you will evolve and change from that thing. Praise God. And a good Jewish orientation for dealing with that in the process of change is learning to ask the best questions for your life at this time. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus presents a different way to live, a different way to ask questions. So early on in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapters 5 through 7, as we get the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us a way of living. It begins with the Beatitudes of blessed are the poor and all these blesseds. And these blesseds are blessed are the meek and the weak, right? Blessed are those who are mourning, where we would all say in our culture, that doesn't sound very blessed. But what Jesus is showing us is that on this way that we will learn from our places of brokenness and surrender more than we will learn from our places of mountaintops and joy. That it is in the surrender is where we actually evolve. It is in the figuring it out that we most grow. And then hopefully when you are on those mountaintops, you have an appreciation from the view at that altitude. 
And that's what God is giving us in this narrative. So when we get to this passage, Jesus has finished his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and what Jesus has taught them is a way of being, a practice of being that requires all of your energy and life as a human being. And that Jesus is realizing that even his Jewish audience back in the day was taught a set of dogma or religion or ideas or beliefs. And those ideas or beliefs or these mental cognitive ascents are not the things that are going to hold you in life. It will be your question asking and the practices that you get into. And so Jesus is a good Jew, and Jesus was a good Jew, uh, and he comes from a long tradition and heritage of how Jews thought about the world and how they engaged God. And if we review for ourselves where we've been in this series of how does the Bible will work, we'll see that Jesus is living into a very Jewish way of being. That the first week in how does the Bible work in part one, we talked about covenant with Abraham. That who Jesus is, is that the way that Jesus fundamentally operates in the world is inviting humanity into covenant. And covenant with God, as we saw in the story of Abraham, is a covenant where God is the power that fulfills the covenant even when we cannot. Because of this, God is the one that is infinite. God is the one that is bigger. We are the ones that are fragile and finite. And yet so much of the religion that many of us were given is that somehow we need to boost God's ego, that we need to keep showing up to make God feel happy, right? It's like God's just a little bit happier. God's happier. God is so happy right now. I have both hands high. Come on. That's not how God works. Now we work that way that God has stability in our process of we need different postures, so to speak, and different times where we engage God at different levels. So I don't mock that at all. I think that's beautiful. I think however we engage in worship and connection and relationship with God, that should be celebrated. But what needs to be shifted in our minds is that God doesn't need it. We need it. And we are in relationship, in covenant with a God who understands that and allows us to grow. That would be like me looking at my three-year-old and saying, why are you having a tantrum today? Because you're three. That's why you're having a tantrum today. Because your frontal lobe is not developed and your brother stole your teacup for the 17th time. And we all feel that way sometimes. That person put that post on Facebook one too many in times, and you're hurt right now, and you're having a tantrum, and you're wondering why all of your friends aren't texting you right now because you're hurting so much. That's covenant with God. God knows that. God knows where we're particularly at at a season of life, and God is other wholly bigger than where we are and can say, it's okay. I'm God, I have this. As we moved into part two, we got into the story of Exodus and Exodus is simply this, that God liberates human beings and God also liberates us from time that what God liberates us into is freedom. Jesus will say this, I came to give life and life to the fullest. 
Jesus did not say, I came to get you to heaven and to get you out of this awful world. Jesus never says anything like that. Jesus says, right here in this present moment is the thing that I came to give you life for. And if you're going to experience life in this present moment, if you're going to celebrate and enjoy the goodness of what I have for you right now, not later, not before, but in this moment, then you need to be freed from some things and you need to be freed for some things. And so the story of Exodus is that story of liberation. It is a story in which God comes in and takes the oppressed of the oppressed, which is God saying this, if I can free and liberate these people, then I can liberate anybody. And I can free you to a reality where you can live in this moment. Because how many of us believe that we can't be liberated? How many of us struggle to live in this present moment because we just keep dealing with the past or having anxiety about the future? And God is saying, you are free to live here right now in this moment. That's what God offers us. And Jesus does that all of the time. Jesus is constantly pulling his disciples to this moment, not to worry about tomorrow, not to worry about what the past has been, but to live right here and now and to enjoy whatever is in front of you. Not to fear if you don't have your daily bread. That's why we have these stories of Jesus, right? The disciples are freaking out and how are we gonna feed all these people? And Jesus is constantly bringing people back to the moment. I got this. I know this moment seems scary, but God is saying, I got this. As we moved into part three of this series, we talked about this idea of exile. How do we experience our humanity in God when we feel distant? And that, that's a reality, that that's where God most shows up. That the story of Jesus is so beautiful because we realize that God meets us in suffering that a third of each of the gospel stories is about Jesus on his way to the cross. That Jesus on his way to the cross is not some magical event um, in which all of our sins are forgiven in that moment and we never have problems again. Jesus on the way to the cross is our human journey of suffering, that Jesus is modeling for us what it looks like, that Jesus goes to the cross because we have to learn as human beings that we cannot avoid suffering that we must go through suffering and not around it. Now, many of us are Americans, which means we've had uh, lots of money or bad religion. And bad religion just wants to take you out of this moment and this suffering right now, just touch somebody's head and they'll be freed from all of that. No, you're not trying to be freed from your suffering. Your suffering is your teacher. Bad religion tells you to avoid it. Jesus tells you, no, it's there that you're actually gonna find your life in losing it. Money teaches us, I don't want to deal with suffering and I will fly over the crucifixion or Friday in my private jet to Sunday. Can I get an amen? There's two people that Jesus is constantly challenging. It's the rich and the religious because those tend to be groups that actually don't want or need God. They want to have all of the answers built in. And then last week, we got to part four of this series where uh, what we learned is that the genesis, that the story that we all start with is this realization that we're good. And that even in Jesus's life, that where Jesus begins his ministry is at this baptism moment and the heavens are separated and Jesus comes out of the waters. And that is so reminiscent of the Genesis story in which the heavens and the earth are separated and out of the waters of the chaos comes new life that God is abounding in this world. And that's what Jesus is doing in this baptism, that the spirit of God is hovering over Jesus. And before Jesus has done anything in this world, before his ministry has accomplished a single iota of progress, which for a 
Americans we hate. Jesus has done nothing at this point, has not proven anything, has not pulled himself up by the bootstraps, has not gone from rags to riches. He's just a Jewish, right, carpenter who shows up. And in that moment, God speaks over him. This is my child whom I love with whom I am well pleased. And if it is true of Jesus, it is true of us. That is the place that all of us start. So all of the scriptures are being fulfilled and lived in Jesus, not just as some sacrificial lamb that makes God less angry, is the narrative that we were given. What's being fulfilled is a way of being human, is what Jesus is living into. And the more that we understand the Jewish scriptures, the more we think in Jewish ways of living into these questions and not better answers, the more that we can honestly deal with Jesus. And I think the more that we honestly deal with how we actually encounter our reality as human beings. Because most of us were given concepts about God. We were given a concept about God that God is somehow Santa Claus, and that if we, you know, don't make the naughty list, then God will be happy with us today, and then blessings will pour down on our lives. How many of us have lived in some cause and effect relationship with God, where you, something goes wrong in your life, and you said, I knew I should have gone to church on Sunday, right? Or we don't even believe in those things anymore, but we secretly believe in those things still, where it's like hardwired in us that we've believed if I don't read my Bible enough or pray enough or go to at least two somehow Christian gatherings or something, that something wrong might happen to me. And we may have even left those realities 10 years ago, but it's still deep within us. And those things are troubling and not helpful because so much of what we were taught about God is that there's an equation out there and a concept that you can put in your head. And if you live into that concept, then somehow your life will be okay. But that's not the reality that God gives for us. It is not a concept. And it's not a concept because there's no perfection in this story that you can attain. What, why Jesus is interesting is that Jesus invites us into this imperfect process, that Jesus is inviting us into a reality where we follow him. And in following him, we're gonna get dirty. We're gonna get messy. That in Jesus's world of letting disciples follow him, they actually went places and experienced people and met people and engaged in things that were uncomfortable for them. The way of Jesus is not sitting in a classroom by yourself and reading books. The way of Jesus is engaging the complexity of our world for its complexity and then honoring that. In the Jewish world of thinking, uh, the idea of disciple comes from the word discipline, and discipline for most of us is this bad idea. When you think of being disciplined, what do you think of? Yeah, some of you are thinking about getting spanked right now, right? Some of you want to be spanked right now, but that's a whole nother sermon series altogether. Or going to time out or some form of discipline that's bad. But the word for discipline is actually just this idea of being a student of something. And in Jesus's world, being a student of a rabbi meant that there's this, this old idea that you would be covered in the dust from your rabbi's feet, that where your rabbi went is where you would go. And where Jesus would go was always to the marginalized, always to the broken, always to the hurting. In Jesus's world, he would have crossed every border. He would have freed every kid from a cage, right, from cages at the border. Jesus would have walked into every Castro district that there was. Jesus would have been at every BLM march. Jesus would have been freeing white privilege from Wall Street. Jesus would have always been in the places where we think that God is not. Jesus probably would have never been in worship arenas or whatever we call these things. 
Jesus was always in the place of where human beings were suffering. Whether they were the oppressed or the oppressor, Jesus came to free that. And Jesus invites his disciples to be students of him there, that we would go to those places and that we would learn. What's scary for so many of us, again, in a progressive world, which most of us are, is that we're all scared of messing up. How many of you in systemic racial conversations right now have been terrified of what if I say the wrong thing, post the wrong thing, or do the wrong thing? When it's, that's not what we want in these conversations. We want you to be good students. We want you to listen to uh, your black brothers and sisters or to people of color. We want to provide voices if you are part of white community to hear where people are at or any marginalized group, LGBTQ, you name it. And that's how you're going to learn. And what you need from people groups, if you're white, is that you need the capacity for grace and to make mistakes. That's what we're learning in our culture is that we're just students who are all becoming woke at a certain time. And we don't want that. We trade one conservative fundamentalism for another progressive fundamentalism where everybody just has to do it perfectly right and then nobody wins. And that's not what Jesus invites us into. Jesus invites us into the messiness and the complexity of life so that we can best show up. Showing up is hard. Showing up is hard because it requires all of you. I love the saying in Hollywood of show me, don't tell me. For many, much of my life as a parent, I learned how to tell. Uh, much of the parenting that was modeled to me is you tell your kids things and right, do what I say and not what I do, uh, something along those lines. But I've learned through maturity, through an amazing wife, through great friends who are good parents about how do you show up into things, that your kids follow you because they model what you're doing for them. And so if you're yelling and then you're telling your kids not to yell, it doesn't work. If you're displaying anger and frustration and wondering why your kids get angry and frustrated, they're following what you're modeling. That even this morning, I hope my kids aren't listening. If you are, hello. One of my kids was just losing his mind and he was really frustrated about things and, and couldn't pull himself together. And I've learned as a dad to this particular kid, I have a choice in this moment. Because what I want for him is to find calmness, to find curiosity with himself, to ask himself, why do I feel this way in this moment? What about what took place is, is hurting me and how can I better understand it so that I can better navigate this reality? And for him to do that, then I need to model for him calmness and curiosity and better question asking so that he can do it. What I've done in the past is he elevates and I elevate. He brings fire, I bring fire. You wanna go, let's go. That's not healthy. Because my expectations were as I'm getting more frustrated that somehow he's calming down. But the hard work of modeling something, of being a student of something is no, I'm going to model the thing that I'm looking for in the world. How many of us in intimate relationships desire love, desire connection, desire being known, but what we offer is distance and frustration and hurt, and we wonder, why is my partner not loving me? Are you modeling that to them? Are you offering them the thing that you want to receive? Or do you have an expectation for them to do something different than you're doing? And the way of Jesus is difficult because it's easy to say these things and it's incredibly difficult to show up in these things. And the way of showing up is the way of Jesus. 
that we show up into our lives. We don't talk ourselves into our lives. You can talk a big game, but the people closest to you will know how you show up and who you actually are. That the way of Jesus is so powerful because it, it, it offers us a relationship. Now, I grew up in the world where I would hear it all the time, probably from a good Southern voice. This is about relationship and not religion. Jesus is a relationship that you can have, and you can invite him right into your heart. And in your heart, there's a little fire in which Jesus sits, and he sits in there, and it's toasty. And this Jesus has blue eyes and blonde hair, and that was weird because he was from the Middle East, but don't think about that because he sits there. You get my point. I didn't even know where I was going after that. that we're invited into relationship, and I think it's a really powerful thing that Jesus offers us, is that we do want relationship with God. But what we want in relationship with Jesus is not that we have some relationship with Jesus and then we have a different relationship in the rest of the world. Jesus teaches us to show up in an integrated way and that's why we follow Jesus. I knew so many of those people in the world that I came from where their relationship with God was so strong and they were assholes to the rest of humanity. That is not an integrated relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus should affect all of your other relationships. So Jesus is not just about your capacity to read the Bible and pray and then be rude to everyone else in your life. Your relationship with Jesus is to the people who are most intimate in my life, how are they experiencing me? Am I showing up with kindness and gentleness and health and patience? Or am I showing up with hostility? And then it goes even further. What's my relationship even to my enemies? How do I show up to them even if they don't know it? This is not some unhealthy conversation where you need to cross boundaries and go into an abusive situation. It's the realization of, I cannot change my enemies. All I can do is change myself and I can change the relationship to the relationship that I have with them. They do not have to have power over me. They do not have to take up the mental real estate of my mind. They do not have, I do not have to co-sign on their BS in this world. I can change my relationship to that. And Jesus can teach me that different reality. And if Jesus changes the way that we engage in relationships to all of our relationships, then Jesus and this way that Jesus is talking about here, right? This way is about living into this following of Jesus so that our lives are built on solid ground. And why do our lives need to be built on solid ground? Because storms will come. Storms happen all of the time. And we learn how to build our lives into deeper connected relationships with God and people around us and good therapy, right? And spiritual directors and mentors and family, you name it. So that when the storms come, we are interlocked with one another and say, I did not anticipate that this hurricane was coming, but I am not dealing with it alone. Praise God. And now I can have a reality that is different when I am in this storm. I can live in this storm and say, God, poor me, why me? Or I can live into this storm and say, what does this storm have to teach me? What is this storm going to show me about my life? Because you can ask good questions about how you got here, but it may not change the fact that the storm is or isn't there. You can, however, change how you engage the reality of what these storms or good things might be in your life is what Jesus is always inviting us into, that the relationship that you have with everything else will change the reality that you have with everything else as well. 
And as your relationships change and as your reality changes, then I think we have a very different idea of what's required of us. There are some things that we can do in our life, in our relationship with God and our relationship to other people. There's this saying in 12 steps that says you're powerless, and I believe in that, but you're not helpless. So you can show up proactively into your life. You can show up consistently into your relationships. You can show up with commitment into your relationships, and you can grow in the capacity to communicate in different ways. These are all things that you can choose to do. And you do that by allowing other people into your life, by allowing for vulnerability, by setting intentions, by engaging in good practices. Do you do this all in a moment? You do not. You do this by taking one step at a time. I think about this all the time in in different capacities with my life, is that so much of life is overwhelming because we want to go from A to Z immediately. Just go from A to A.1 and then hopefully to B. And you do that by just saying, what's one thing that I can do today that will allow me to better show up? And often do that by think about the person who's closest to you in your life. How can you offer them a love that you would like to receive? How can you start with yourself and your capacity to change your reality and see how that affects the rest of the reality around you? Now, even though you're not helpless, there are things that you are powerless to in life. You do not get to control which storms come to you. And so the values of surrender, the values of patience, the values of letting go are hard-fought lessons in life in which there are going to be seasons that the more that you squeeze on, the worse that it will get. And unfortunately, it is the storms that we learn to let go and in the letting go is when we find our feet on the most solid ground. It's in the letting go that we realize, I don't have the full capacity to endure this storm that Jesus is talking about, but I am upon a bedrock that is much stronger than me. And that you are learning that by showing up each day into your life, into your relationships, and into your reality. And so there are some things that are required of us that we can do, and there are some things that are required of us that will fully take the surrender within us. And this leads me to the final thing. One of the things I love so much about humanity is our capacity for resiliency, that we are here. Have you ever just thought about that, that we're here today, that our species has made it this far? We haven't blown ourselves up, that we've advanced, that we've evolved, that we've grown, that there's people that are going to like get us to Mars and create vaccines, and we have the capacity to feed and give water to the entire world. We have the capacity for a lot of things. We may not be doing all of those things yet, but we have the capacity as a species to do it. We're resilient creatures. How many of you have been in those storms, been in those moments where you thought, I will never make it out of this day? But guess what? You're here. You are here listening to this right now, which tells me this, you did make it out of those storms. You did get past that place. You didn't think that you would, but your relationship to your relationships to God and other human beings, the way that your reality has changed, the way that you've required yourself to show up differently in your life allowed you to be here. Give yourself a high five. Come on. Be thankful for that. Be thankful for the resiliency that you have. I've been on this journey over the last couple months where for the first time in my life, I'm a 35-year-old man, and I don't think I've ever loved my body before until the last two months. 
is a weird thing to say for a 35-year-old straight white male. I think so often we, we talk about this of like, I see like women empowering themselves all the time with bodies and I don't see men talking about it that much. And then something happened to me where I realized I hate my body. I am uncomfortable with myself. And how am I ever gonna teach my children to love themselves well if I don't love certain parts of myself? And I realize all the time how much I would judge myself. I would be like, oh, I got a dad bod or these love handles have been with me since the 2000s, baby. And all these things where I'm, I'm judging myself in different ways. And I finally realized in, in different working out techniques or diet techniques or things like that because I didn't love myself well, I couldn't show up to those things well because I was doing it because I actually didn't like part of myself. And something in the last couple of months, I showed up and realized, I love me. I love this body that's got me here to this moment. I'm so thankful that this body has carried me all of this way. And in the last couple of months, I've been eating better and working out in different ways and integrating myself. And it's amazing how that's changed my emotional health and my mental health. It's changed the way that I've shown up into my marriage, that as I can show up into my marriage as I love my body more because I don't need for my wife to fulfill some insecurity within me. I don't have to take from her for her to give me something that I can give to myself. And that changed me. It's changed me, and I'm like two whole months of this. I'm not a PhD, let's be honest, right? We all meet those people who read like one-third of a Brene Brown book, and they're like, I'm so woke. Okay, right? You're just part. You're just, I'm just a little bit into this journey, but I feel the freedom in it. I feel the freedom of loving myself well, that the relationship to the relationship that I have with my body is different, and how that relationship is changing all of my other relationships, that the relationship to the relationship I have with my body is changing the reality that I have with the other reality around me. That I, it's requiring me to live a different way of who I am as a human being. And this is teaching me a different resiliency about all aspects of my life. So the question for you is not, how do you change everything about you? It's just this. Is there one thing today that you can live into it and show up into your life in a different way? Is it your emotional health? Is it your physical health? Is it your spiritual health? Is it your mental health? Is it your relationship to another human being? Can you show up to that relationship and just do one thing today that says, I'm gonna live into that reality in a different way? What would be required of me to show up into that reality to change the nature of that relationship? How can I be resilient just today in this moment? And if I put together and string these days together, maybe how will my life be changed in the way that I follow Jesus in the way that I'm a human being and in the ways that I live into the world? We are all capable of that today. Would you pick one thing? Would you find one thing that would maybe help change all of the other aspects of the way that you live your life? We're gonna jump back into these groups and we're gonna answer this question with one another. How can you show up well in your life today? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.